Welcome to the Tech and Color podcast, a show dedicated to spotlighting the diverse stories of leaders in technology and business and their journey in getting to where they are today. I'm Michelle. And I'm Monsi. Today in the Zoom studio, we have Amy Yin. Amy is the founder and CEO of OfficeTogether.com, a company she started over the pandemic to help companies transition to hybrid, remote-first work offices. Office Together raised its seed round this past December, backed by Defy, Neo, MGV, January Ventures, and many others. Prior to founding OfficeTogether.com in 2020, Amy worked as a software engineer for 10 years. She was most recently a senior software engineer at Coinbase, where she grew the company's influential products, Coinbase Commerce and Coinbase.com. And she was previously at Hired and Facebook's internet.org. While studying computer science at Harvard, Amy founded the Harvard Women in Computer Science Organization and received the Harvard College Women's Leadership Award for her contributions to building a technical and entrepreneurial community of women at Harvard. Amy, thank you so much for joining us. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course, appreciate having you here. I guess to get started, could you walk us through your upbringing and what you were like as a kid and college student? Was there anything you were involved in that really formatively shaped your identity early on? Yeah, I grew up in a very small town in Wisconsin called Onalaska. Very safe, wonderful upbringing. But I think that's something I realized growing up in the Midwest was that I wanted to have a larger and larger platform. I never actually met a software engineer until I had gotten to college. I remember when I was a young student, I really wanted to leave the Midwest, uh, but my family didn't have like a ton of money. And so for me to be able to go to like leave the Midwest instead of going to our local like state school, University of Wisconsin, I had to get into an Ivy League school because they are one of the few schools that would provide me the kind of financial backing and scholarships to enable me to attend a private institution. Uh, so I studied super, super hard and uh, really focused a lot on just like my GPA, packing in as many extracurriculars as I could, really killed myself studying with AP classes and finally got into Harvard. And that was like a huge turning point into, uh, into my, in my life. I thought I wanted to become an investment banker. And so I got to college. I ended up becoming like the president of the Harvard Financial Analyst Club and got really deep into finance. And then one of the actually big events that happened to me while I was at college was that I recruited super hard for both management consulting and finance. I just thought that I wanted to go down this traditional path and, um, my junior year, after spending all this time like running this club, doing all these interview preps, uh, get, flying out to all these different things, I ended up with zero offers. I had no offers to go into investment banking and I had no offers to go into management consulting. And it was really devastating. It was very much like a face down moment for me because I thought that that was, you know, when I was like 20 years old, that was the end all be all was getting into one of these really prestigious programs. Um, and so I actually dropped out of school for a year because I was like, well, I'm not cut out for finance consulting. I don't know what I want to do. Dropping out of Harvard was a really pivotal moment because I got, I spent time figuring out what I actually wanted to do. So I ended up um, moving to Paris and starting a company with one of my professors, uh, David Edwards. We were in this class together and the project I was working on the idea was that, you know, you can see your phone, you could touch your phone, you could hear your phone, but you can't smell your phone. And so the idea was to do like an internet of things play where we like made this Bluetooth device that emitted fragrances. And he was like, hey, this has like real commercial viability, like let's go and build this. 
And so I flew out to Paris, didn't speak any French and worked out of his lab, actually like the basement of his lab in, in the heart of Paris, right next to the Louvre with two other MIT students. And I learned how to build Android applications. And so at that point I had about three semesters of computer science under my belt. Um, so didn't really have that much real world coding experience. Um, and then being in that basement, I just used the Android documentation and figured stuff out. Like whatever I couldn't build or whatever I couldn't figure out, I would just build something else because I was the only software engineer. And I just learned so much about being self-sufficient and um, just making things happen. And that was like my first real taste of entrepreneurship. And, um, you know, fast forward a decade now, I'm starting my, I've started my own company. Uh, so that, yeah, I would say that that was like a like hugely pivotal moment in my career. Thank you so much for being so open about all this with us. And it's really cool to hear about how you found your passion after an initial difficulty. Could you talk a bit about what happened after you built the company and you went back to school? How did that kind of change your priorities and what you were interested in? It totally changed my, my career path because I just, I really committed to being in tech and um, computer science. And so, you know, my, uh, my, my whole career has been uh, as a software engineer up until this, this is my only job actually where I'm not writing code is like currently now I'm like the CEO of the startup. And so, um, yeah, that, that time off, like really like building and getting my hands dirty, got me really obsessed with like product and delivering value to the end user and what, what it was like to um, actually create something with your own bare hands. Awesome. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear about this journey that you went through from finance and consulting being your main interest to becoming more tech focused. Since then, you've also been super involved in promoting diversity and inclusion in tech, for example, through building communities of technical women, like by launching Harvard's Women in CS organization and being an instructor at Girls Who Code, which is actually where I found my start in CS as well. What advice would you give to people who are trying to promote diversity, inclusion, technology, or what have you learned from those experiences? For me, identity and inclusion has been something I've always been searching for. It's like a journey. So my, I think it was my sophomore, my junior year, I started the Harvard Women in Computer Science, um, just like kind of ran into one of my classmates and and Ann Solmson and she and I were like, hey, like, wouldn't it be great if we had a club of just like technical women and we got together and we just had like a sisterhood. Um, and so we started this community right before I left for Paris and got like the first event together. We had like over 30 people show up for like an impromptu pizza party and the energy just felt so good um, because, you know, you show up into a CS class and maybe it's like 200 people and like 30 of them are women, maybe 20 of them are women. And so to have um, such a strong showing, I just like felt my heart warm and like my energy rise. And so we decided to make it real. And so this is actually while I was like living in Paris, like the first real year of the club. Um, and we just found that there was so much excitement and enthusiasm for this community that the community is really self-sustaining. Like there was just so much energy poured in from the board and from the faculty. Uh, and even from like our sponsors, they were just like, yes, we'll write you a check. Of course, like we want to, we first of all care about diversity, but more than anything, we want to recruit women for these companies. And so we had like Google and like Facebook and Jane Street and all these like top companies um, coming in. And uh, we were able to make a real a name, name for ourselves because we'd have such high quality events where you got to have like meaningful connections, even meaningful connections among the undergraduate women and the female engineers coming on campus to recruit. Uh, and so, you know, the advice I would have 
for folks, I guess, is that you know you can you can create community wherever there's demand, right? If there's like folks who are interested, then um, the energy will kind of naturally carry itself itself out. Um, I felt the same thing when I was at Coinbase. I started the Coinbase Woman in Product, and so it was like engineering, product, and design. Um, and we started by just doing like small events together, like book clubs, like bringing in speakers, going to conferences together. And again, like the energy was just self-sustaining because there was so much hunger to connect with women who look like and feel like you or people who shared your identity. Um, and some of my closest relationships from college and from Coinbase were from my extracurriculars uh, doing this diversity work. Um, so yeah, it's a, really, it's a really meaningful way to be able to connect with other people. I really connect with other people through work. And sometimes that work is like building products and writing code. And sometimes that work is through building community and uh, creating connections with, with other people. Definitely agree with that. And it's so inspiring to hear about how you've really pushed for this throughout your, your career so far. And Anne was also an awesome guest on our podcast previously as well. Oh, amazing. Yeah, she's yeah. a star. She's actually the one who introduced me to Neo, um, who became one of my lead investors. And so, you know, these, these relationships last decades. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And after college, as you mentioned before, you also joined Facebook's internet.org as a growth engineer, where you work to bring up internet access to more people and as a software engineer at Hired. So how did your experiences as an engineer for over 10 years prepare you for founding Office Together? It is so awesome to have a technical background when starting a tech company, that, that's for sure. Was able to iterate really, really quickly as a founder because I knew what would be easy and what's hard to build. And I could, like, I could build up the engineering team really quickly. So we actually built the first version of Office Together, MVP, in four weeks. We had a customer lined up. They had very clear requirements about what the, they needed by a certain date. Um, I spun up a team in Romania as four engineers. And based off of these Figma mocks that we had from the designer, we were able to just you know mock out and fake out the data that we didn't need and uh, really put in like the bare bones functionality for our initial launch. And that's really hard to do if you don't have experience building software and knowing what's easy and what's hard or even like what a product development cycle looks like. Most companies these days all have some sort of technical or software component. And so I feel really empowered by the fact that I've worked as an engineer for such a long time. It definitely also helps like when fundraising or recruiting to feel like your leader actually speaks your language. A lot of like the investors you talk to, they've worked in tech or have technical backgrounds. And a lot of my company is mostly software engineers and technical folks. And so it really helps make sure that the company is engineering led or product led. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting to hear about how um, your background as a software engineer kind of gave you the technical background and you were able to also pick up more of the managerial experience and put those two together. Um, I, I was also an engineering manager too at Coinbase. So that helped, I had direct management experience. And at Coinbase, you helped grow uh, and build two of the flagship products of the company, Coinbase Commerce and Coinbase.com. Throughout your career before Office Together, you had deep experiences in a lot of different industries from big tech to a talent marketplace to crypto and blockchain technologies. Um, I guess one thing that I'm curious about is how you think about choosing your next role, whether that's based more on the industry of the company that you're working at versus the role that you'll actually be doing. Do you think you could have developed 
the skill set for founding office together, regardless of what industries you gained exposure to, or was it really important to have worked with similar clients before at Hired, for example? Yeah, with Office Together, we're in a new category of software. And so definitely the industries I worked in the past are not, that's actually my first B2B company that I've worked at. Like Coinbase Commerce is kind of B2C, but it's more, or B2B, but uh, not quite because it's more of a, um, you're not selling software directly to businesses. My strategy throughout my career is to go towards what really draws me. And anything that I get excited about, I know I'll do a really good job. And so, for example, when I moved from Hire to Coinbase, I was really deep in recruiting. I know a lot about that space. And recruiting is actually really helpful for my current job because, you know, one of the you have three things you have to do as a CEO, like vision, make sure there's money in a bank and build a really awesome team. And so recruitment is like a very big job of being like a founder. But moving from Hire to Coinbase definitely felt like left field. Uh, but but the thing that was similar about it was it was the thing I was so excited about. Like, I really wanted to be part of Finance 2.0. I wanted to work in crypto. I, I took a pay cut to join Coinbase because I was so excited by the startup. Um, and it worked out super well. You know, Coinbase had like a big exit earlier this year. And so for me, it's not about industry. It's about like passion and excitement. And so that's like, that's always been where I've gone. And, you know, from Coinbase to Office Together, that's also totally different. But the thing I'm most excited about right now is about flexibility and the future of work and what hybrid means. You know, I have been a, a, a worker, like an employee for the last 10 years and going into the office has defined my experience. And now I'm creating a new category of software where we get to define a whole new office environment where flexibility is king. And that's like the thing that gets me out of bed every morning. Yeah, it's so interesting to hear about how a lot of these decisions have been driven about passion and a lot of these passions can also be sparked, you know, anew, like as, as life continues. We'd love to get more into the future of work and your current role as CEO of Office Together. Congrats on your seed round. And we also, it was so exciting because reading the TechCrunch article, we learned that Amy Sun was also an investor and previous podcast guest. So this oh, wow. very, yeah, very powerful crowd of people here. Um, but diving more into your experience as CEO. Um, so you've mentioned how you were inspired to work on Office Together when COVID-19 sparked a shift to remote work and this remote first organizational strategy for many companies. Could you talk about how you had this moment of revelation and also about what Office Together does for our listeners? Well, I was an engineer at Coinbase when last year, Coinbase was one of the first companies to announce moving remote first. And remote first meant that the experience of being virtual would be prioritized over the in-office experience. And this was a huge 180 at Coinbase. So as a hiring manager, I had fought so hard for remote folks. I was managing a team that was both in New York and San Francisco. And the New York folks always felt like a little bit left out, that they were like a satellite. Um, and the company was just not open to remote engineers or remote work, even though we were struggling to fill our headcount because talent is um, really hard to procure in San Francisco and New York. Those are, these are really hot markets. And so even though there were fights all the way up the leadership change to get more remote employees, it just like fell on deaf ears. So then fast forward like three years into my Coinbase experience to have the company be like, actually, you don't need to be in the office ever again. 
I was like, wow, if a company like Coinbase could totally change its mind after just three short months of the pandemic, actually, no, two months into the pandemic of lockdowns, I bet that this is going to be a bigger trend. And so I started interviewing different HR leaders and talking to different folks to see what they, they were doing with their office and how they were thinking about the future of work. And I realized that a lot of people were having that same light bulb moment, but they weren't making any changes yet because it was still lockdown. I was like, okay, well, the, the future state of the world is going to be hybrid. It's going to be flexible. What problems are going to show up that'll, that'll need solutions? And that's like where the idea for Office Together came in. Is like you need a way to manage and coordinate um, part-time office work. And so I had wanted to start a company and I was looking for my next thing at Coinbase too. I'd been there for three years, had an amazing time, but I was like ready for something smaller. I'd been interviewing at smaller companies, different startups, poking around, nothing caught my eye. And, you know, also talking to other startups, I realized, well, these founders are no more qualified than I am. So why not roll the dice and try my own thing out? And so I left Coinbase last summer to work on Office Together full time. And it has been such an exhilarating experience. Um, one of the most, like you, you guys asked earlier, like what are some pivotal moments in my career? That would be another one was the moment that I decided that I was worth betting on. Like the, the moment that I decided to make a big invest in myself and believe that I could build a successful company. Um, that was like a huge thing because I didn't have the confidence to do that earlier on. Um, you know, I, it's definitely really scary. Spent a lot of time crying and feeling the ups and downs, but it's been really uh, empowering too. It's a really empowering experience. Um, so yeah, you know, fast forward a year and, uh, you know, left and right companies are announcing that they're going hybrid. You know, even like last week in TechCrunch, uh, even companies as stubborn as like Amazon and Facebook are moving towards a more hybrid model. Like I think Michelle, you're working at City this summer. City is a traditional bank and they're moving hybrid. And so when I was like fundraising last year, some investors laughed me out of the room because they're like, no, like we're just going back into the office. And I was like, that's not what the da data shows. That's not what my user research shows, but time will prove you wrong. So it's fine. It's not a big deal. There are plenty of investors that will say no. And you know, fast forward a year and I'm like, hey, like this is happening and Office Together is ready to hop on this trend like we have the software and experience that people are looking for that they didn't even know they had because it's hard to envision what an office looks like when folks are only in sporadically um so yeah the future of work it's not about the office experience it's about actually getting work done and i think it's actually so good for diversity and inclusion um, because among college women for example i think it's something like college among college graduates, women are 50% more likely to want to work remotely because they want flexibility for their life. Maybe they don't want to commute to the office. Maybe they have family lives to take care of. And so I think hopefully it means that more women can stay in the workplace because they can balance the needs of their family and their lives uh, and having a really successful career. The pandemic saw over a million women, a million mothers drop out of the workforce because a lot of babysitters weren't around. They weren't daycare. And so childcare disproportionately falls on women. And so creating flexible schedules where you can still manage your school, your kids pick up, going to school, daycare, all that stuff is a huge enabler to make sure that we still have this generation of badass women who are building amazing companies, working at companies, building impactful projects, et cetera. So I really believe the flexibility is going to be a, a key a key thing that helps us lead, like our, our, this generation leapfrog. Yeah, it's really exciting to hear about 
how you had the courage to bet on yourself, even though there was all this pushback from investors and now it's starting to come to fruition. One question that we had as well was now several months into leading office together since you founded it back in August, 2020, are there any myths about founding that you've seen not play out or are there any differences in what you expected to what founding a company and leading it is actually like? Let's see here. Well, I think one common myth that people might have about founding a company is that you have to work 24 seven or you have to work weekends or it has to consume your life. And I don't believe that's true. So as a rule, I do not work on the weekends. I make sure that I work really hard Monday through Friday and on the weekends, the weekends are for me, right? The weekends are for my time to relax. And also it makes me a better leader because I show up on Monday morning refreshed and relaxed, believing that my life is just as important as my work, but actually it's even more important than my work. Um, and that being starting a company is just one aspect of my very rich life. And so whether or not my company is successful or not, it doesn't matter because my life is already successful. And there are definitely moments where I don't believe that, where I'm like, oh my God, if this company fails, that means something about me. That means I'm a failure or I'm not going to be successful. Most of the time, you know, I realize that whether my company is successful or not is not a reflection of how successful I am as a person. And that's like a thing that's really, really hard to wrap your head around. And I think that like a lot of my founder friends, even myself, sometimes like, oh my God, if this doesn't work out this is it. Like people are going to look at me differently and mean something about me. Um, but actually the people I admire the most are the people who tried and failed and tried and failed. And maybe they never succeed. And sometimes they do, but they have the courage to keep getting up again. Um, one of my favorite authors, her name is Brené Brown. She talks about these face down moments in the arena. So you're face down, you just got slaughtered, but you have the courage to stand up again and like face your fears and try again. That's the thing that I most admire about other founders is that they, you know, every day is like a fire or something doesn't go well. And it's just like the, the courage to just believe that trying again is going to, is going to make all the difference. Thank you so much for saying that. And I really love what you said about learning to separate your self-worth from your company performance or your job performance. I feel like that's a thing that a lot of people struggle with. And it's so important to learn to disentangle those two factors from each other. Yeah. A lot of having a successful career is really about emotional regulation. Um, my emotions are going to be high. They're going to be low. But being able to um, separate myself from my emotions and my anxiety and my fears and being like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm noticing myself contracting or I'm, I'm noticing myself feeling afraid. Just creating that like layer of a detachment allows me to show up and smile and get excited about the day ahead of me. Yeah, that's a really good tip, like learning to have that distance. We'd love to conclude by discussing how you think the future of work may change. Sure, you touched on this before, but we'd love to learn more about how you think work culture as a whole changing as the country opens up again, and how you've been responding to that change and these trends through your work at Office Together. Well, the most popular month to go back to the office is September. And so there's definitely a lot of anxiety about what it means to not wear sweatpants every day while you're working and to be able to see, see people and have your work be tracked and monitored. So I think that there's going to be a huge adjustment period for folks who are going back to the office. A lot of us, you know, we've been like traveling or maybe not seeing people. Uh, our lives have been really different during the pandemic. And so there's going to be a huge period of adjustment of what it means to have kind of like this like standardized or normalized schedule. 
I think that people are going to get back to the office and um, realize there's a lot of things they love. They love the social, they love the consistency of seeing people every day. I think for junior folks, they're probably going to get like more and better mentorship, but they also might realize that being in the office wasn't as critical as they used to think it was because not all their teammates are going to be in the office, right? A, a big trend is remote hiring. And I think that's going to get bigger. And that's why you're seeing wages starting to normalize. Uh, you know, I hire folks across the world and wages in other countries have gone up as more American money flows towards them. And then we're also seeing wages in the U.S., you know, start to plateau, at least for like tech workers, because there is more competition among the labor force. You can hire folks from Canada, you can hire folks from Mexico, you can hire folks uh, from Europe. And so I hope that actually we're going to see greater wealth redistribution across the globe as uh, more money flows in, as more jobs go online. Um, a second trend that I think that we're going to see is that uh, a lot of Asia is sticking to this like office mandatory culture, right? They had the pandemic, it was maybe for a few months and then it went right back to how they used to. I think Amer this is like America's opportunity to leapfrog China. Um, you know, China has been growing as a superpower, but the fact that now we can take advantage of more and more distributed work and pull in ideas and creativity from not just like in our own city, but across the country and across the world means that we're going to have like more global influence than ever before. So those are two trends that I'm pretty excited about. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. The first point about like how this is uh, remote hiring is affecting international labor markets and causing wealth redistribution is something that is so interesting and have not thought about before. Um, are you down to end with a quick fire round to cover some questions that are not about work? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Okay. The first question is, can you tell us your favorite hobby? What do you do to unwind? I'm a big yogi. I can do the splits three ways. I could do some crazy twists and binds. And it's a thing that makes me really deeply relax. Um, just like yoga on the beach, yoga in my living room. Yeah. Big into, I'll do a lot of like Ashtanga yoga. That is very impressive. Uh, that's something that I've been trying to work on as well throughout the pandemic. <laughs> um, next question. What is the best advice that you've ever received? Mm, probably some of the best advice that I ever received probably goes back to the thing that I said before, um, which is that I am more than my thoughts. I'm more than my ideas. I'm more than this body, right? There's like a part of me that can observe my thoughts, a part of me that can observe my body. That part is like actually me. And it's like very meta, but um, there's this idea that like the presence or this being that's on this earth, there's more to me than just that. And then that like makes me feel uh, more like very empowered because, you know, maybe I have multiple lives to live, um, but the life I'm living, it doesn't fully represent who I am. Like there's more to it. I really love that. Um, what is your biggest life hack? I read this book called The 4-Hour Workweek when I was in college and it totally changed my life. I've been using virtual assistants for many, many years, and it's just helped me always appear to be 10x more productive than an average person because I have some like some person in like the Philippines or Pakistan uh, booking events for me, making reservations, doing like research. Um, now that like I run a company, I have a full-time EA who works 40 hours a week. But even before I'd have someone booking events for Coinbase events, doing like four hours a week for me. And it just always um, was so great because it's gotten me into the mode of always trying to delegate. So my mo mo mental model is that I always want to work on the things I'm uniquely suited to do, like the things that are my superpowers and everything else, try and find someone else to do it. And it means I get to sharpen the saw on the things I'm uni uniquely gifted on and everything else gets taken off of my mental plate. 
Awesome. Yeah, I have been meaning to read that book as well. Uh, it's really interesting to hear about how that shaped you. And finally, what is a book that has changed your worldview? I really love this book called Never Split the Difference. It's about an FBI hostage negotiator teaches you techniques for how to like get a higher salary or get what you want. And so it's a lot about leading with curiosity, asking open-ended questions and repeating back what you guys say. So I noticed that you two do a lot of that. You'll repeat back what I say to make it feel like more conversational. I feel very heard. And so it's like a way that you're building rapport with me. Same thing when you're negotiating is that you just want to make sure the other person knows that you understand their experience and like what their priorities are. And I use it when I'm talking to my employees. I'm using it when I'm talking to customers, other vendors, and it's helped immensely um, make sure that we both end up in that win-win zone. Awesome. Well, that's it from us. Thank you so much, Amy, for joining us today. We've learned so much and really enjoyed this conversation. We wanted to give you a chance to plug anything that you might be working on or ways that people can find you. So this is your chance to do that. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, so yeah, my Twitter handle is yin underscore Amy, or you could look up Office Together on Twitter, where I was looking for more LinkedIn and Twitter followers. And the big thing is one of my lead investors, Neo, they have this amazing scholarship opportunity. So they gather the top college students from across the country, maybe even the world, and they bring them together every year for this annual retreat, plus all this other programming. And it's just like an amazing way to get connected with top technical folks, as well as really awesome startups. Startups like Office Together, obviously. Like we recruit heavily from the NEO community. So highly recommend applying if you're currently a college student. And um, I think that they even will fund your company too, if you end up starting a company. So just been really, really impressed by the folks I've met there. I highly recommend folks apply. Awesome. Yes, thank you, Amy. We also love NEO and love Office Together. It was great to chat. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Tech and Color. If you're interested in following our journey and hearing from more leaders in tech and business, follow us on Instagram at Tech and Color Podcast, on Twitter at Tech and Color Cast, and on Spotify. We love to hear from listeners like you, so please reach out if you'd like to work with us.